You're listening to Divorce Literacy with the Divorce Lending Association, a divorce podcast where we dig deep into issues of divorce that center around the marital home, other real property, and divorce mortgage planning, helping divorcing homeowners and their divorce team make more informed decisions regarding home equity solutions during and after divorce. Hi, everyone. This is Amy Valdivia, and I am excited to be part of the Divorce Literacy Podcast. More importantly, I'm excited to have our guest here today, Miss Holly Moore. She is a family law attorney based in Southern California, and I'm not going to go into her whole bio because I want her to tell you exactly what she does about her practice and you'll clearly be able to see why I'm so just excited to have her here with us. Thank you for being with us today, Ms. Holly. Thank you so much for having me, Amy. I'm I'm honored to be a part of this and, and thank you for the invitation to come on here. Of course, before we move forward and I start asking you questions about divorce, tell the world, who are you? Why did you choose family law? And tell us about your practice. Sure. I'd love to. So I'm Holly Moore. I'm a divorce attorney in Southern California. I have been a lawyer for about 15 years. I opened my firm, Moore Family Law Group, um, just about 15 years ago as well. And they say in our industry that you don't really find family law. Family law finds you <laughs> um, because you know sometimes it's it's not the kind of thing that really draws people in. Um, And for me, actually, my parents are still married, you know, 50 plus years going strong. Growing up, I really didn't even know anybody that had divorced within my inner circle. So it was a little bit of a surprise to my parents and and people close to me that I would that I would start doing, you know, divorce. Um, But again, it kind of found me I, I started off working at a law firm in Orange County. And Um, They did construction defect, which is basically like land developers suing really large subcontracting companies. And they also did family law. It was a little bit of a interesting combination. Um, But I started off, I know, strange, but I guess it works for them. So I started off doing, I started off on the construction defect side of things. And I just remember because I worked there as a law clerk in law school. So I had worked at the same firm for about four years, um, both as a law clerk. And then um, when I was studying for the bar and waiting for results and all of that. So I remember kind of like one of my first things as an official attorney sitting at the desk across from the client and who was a, a extremely wealthy land developer. And the client was like, Holly, sue this, you know, sub subcontracting company. I'm like, okay. For what? He's like, I don't know, figure something out. Like that guy really annoys me. I just want to kind of ruffle his feathers. And it was like a very pivotal moment for me because I'm like, I can't believe I just spent, you know, all this time in school, all this effort, all these resources. And this is what I'm doing with these skills. Like this is not helping the world. So I got a little bit down about it. I spoke to the other partner at that particular law firm who happened to be the one that did family law, she said, you know what, come work under me for a little bit, see if that's a better fit. And instantly it was an amazing fit because I would talk to the clients. I felt like they had real problems that needed real help and real solutions. 
And it was just a more human to human interaction. And I just felt like it was so much more valuable to the world and to the people to do that kind of work. So I started doing that, you know, again, like 15 years ago and the rest is history. (laughs) Well, that it's amazing to me. It it just, Oh, let's just sue just for the sake of suing. Who does that and why? Right. Yes. And that kind of litigation is hundreds of thousands of dollars because usually there's, you know, 20 to 40 people involved in one lawsuit. It's very document heavy. I mean, it's a huge undertaking um, in time, expense, effort. And it's, yeah, these people just do it. You know, if they don't like the next guy, like, let's just sue him. So it's 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 a dynamic. It's truly for profit, right? I mean, that's 100% the, the means behind that. Well, it's not even that. I could even, I could maybe even understand if he, um, but he's going to spend a bunch of money on the deal, probably lose the lawsuit, but it's going to annoy the other guy. So it's it's more for spite, which wow. you know, there is a little bit of that in family law too. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, but. Um, but you, you're very different. And, and that. It's interesting that we're talking about this because what drew me to you when we first met, and I don't remember, I don't know if you remember, I should say, you spoke about your approach and I knew you were different. And I, I was drawn to you because you used one word, holistic. You said you have a holistic approach and you also incorporate, incorporate mediation. I've heard why you, you say holistic. I'd like you to share that and your methods and your thought process behind that, because that's a completely different way of thinking. When people think family law and divorce attorney, you know, the fangs come out and straight to litigation. Tell me, tell me your thoughts behind that. Yeah, sure. I don't know if this is what I told you, but you know, (laughs) in my mind, I mean, so the, the dynamic that exists in family law that's a little bit different than almost every other litigation is the close personal relationship that you have with the person you are litigating against. You don't have that in business. You don't have that in personal injury. You don't have that in immigration. Like nowhere else do you have that kind of a dynamic. So because of that, whether you win, lose, or draw in this litigation, you have to have, you know, it's very likely you're going to be in contact with this person for a very long time if you have kids together. If you don't, then, you know, maybe not so much, but most of the the cases that we're dealing with do involve children, even if it's adult children that are already grown and gone and really not part of the case. It still is, is the connection that's going to keep these people in some sort of communication for like the rest of their lives. And so, you know, to just kind of go in like a bull in a china shop and litigate the heck out of a case for the sake of winning really is not helpful to the parties. So when I think about the best way to proceed in a divorce case, yes, of course, sometimes you have to litigate and sometimes it does get nasty. And sometimes you do have to really get aggressive with certain legal um, tactics and strategies. But ultimately, you want to go in more like a heart surgeon with precision and just slice out and and handle the parts that are problematic and need to be handled and not completely blow this family up so that the two parents can never even sit at their child's wedding together. So um, I think that's really important. And 
but that takes a, a, a bigger picture view. And I don't think clients and attorneys, I don't think are always looking at the bigger picture. They're not always looking at the long-term effects. And I think it's our job as advocates, if we're truly looking out for the best interests of these people to make them see like, Hey, yes, we could go in today and just cream the other side or, you know, take them to the cleaners. That's what, you know, you hear a lot, but you know, is that going to be best for this family, family unit? Are you going, you know, what are the ramifications of that long-term? So that's, that's how I look at it. And, and that that's a perfect segue to the next question, because everyone has a personal journey in their divorce. Yes. With that in mind, that's why a, you also consider mental health because I've heard you talk about that. Yes. Emotional health. And that's where the mediation part, which I believe the way you make it sound is that's the love part for you (laughs) comes into play. True. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, people come to us and I think as legal professionals, sometimes we make the mistake of going, oh, they have a legal problem. Let me solve that legal problem with court hearings and subpoenas and discovery and expert witnesses and blah, 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 blah. They don't, they really don't have a legal problem. They're having a personal problem. And our, the tool in our toolbox is the legal remedy. But I think it's just so much more valuable to the client if we recognize this is actually an interpersonal problem. This is, or not necessarily a problem, but like, this is a really difficult time personally for them. There is a lot of emotion involved. There's a lot of um, pain involved. And so to just completely ignore that part, I think is doing the clients a huge disservice. And I am, you know, I will just die trying um, to, to get a family law attorney specifically. And, you know, right now it's just like my team at my firm. It's like, I'm beating this drum every day. Like you guys like meet them where they're at, you know, they're not coming to us for a motion for X, Y, and Z. They're not coming to us because they want to go to court. They're coming to us because they have deep pain and they're, they're facing a personal situation. That's extremely difficult. Like meet them where they're at. Let's try and somewhat help them in every respect. I mean, we're not trained therapists, you know, we're not doctors or anything like that, but we can be human. We can be kind. We can give them grace. We can do all of those things. So that's a drum that I beat fairly regularly at my firm. That That's awesome because the, the importance of having the strong divorce team behind yeah. you as, as a client is critical. Yeah, of course. However, I, if, if God forbid it were me, I would want somebody who could recognize that and say, okay, we're, we're going into litigation or not. Right. And say, Hey, there's this other option mediation. I want you to talk a little bit about that because you were the first one who really made it for me cut and dry in the definition. Tell me, tell me what you do in your practice for mediation. Okay. Hopefully I'm like, gosh, you have a really good memory, Amy. (laughs) What did I tell Amy all this time? (laughs) Um, but so when, so we do, um, 
I have multiple attorneys and, and legal professionals at my firm. I'm the only one at the firm that does mediation. So the way I do it is instead, so some mediator, like if you were to go to mediation at court, basically what you will find, um, and I think this is also the case if you go to most sort of lawyer mediators, um, what you will find is basically they're just like shoving an agreement down your throat. This is what the court's going to do. Agree or walk it out. It's a very like forceful situation that I think is not mediation at all. It's basically just a judge without a robe on telling you what you should do. Who's also not, you know, qualified as a judge, but essentially they're acting as a judge to say, this is the agreement you need to make and just like shoving it down your throat. I don't think that's how mediation should work at all. That's definitely not how I do it. What I do is I figure out, well, why do you want, you know, okay, tell me what you want. Um, you know, I want, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to think. The house. Cool. Yeah, I want the house. Okay, well, do you, like, but why? What is it about the house that you want? Well, I'm just worried I won't have a roof over, you know, and the, and the other person's like, I don't want them to have the house. Okay. So let's go back to you. Why do you want the house? What is it about the house that you, that you want? Well, I'm just worried about having a roof over my head. Okay. If I can get you, if I can assure you a roof over your head in another way, are you open to that? Oh, gee, I never thought of that. Okay. Person who doesn't want her to have the house. Can we possibly think of another way to assure a roof over this person's head? Well, yeah, you know, X, Y, and Z, like she could take the rental property. Everybody's happy suddenly because, you know, we found out why they wanted that. And sometimes the parties, the litigants to the case, sometimes they haven't thought about really why they want something. And so when you take the time and kind of give them the space to be like, oh, well, why, what is it about that thing that is so important to me? Sometimes they realize, well, yeah, I guess, I guess I could really, you know, do something else. And it, it opens our options up basically. And so that instead of either just shoving an agreement down their throat or saying, we're just going to cut the pie in half, you know, down the line and leave no room for any sort of personal desires or, or try to find out why somebody wants what they want and then, you know, achieve what they want. Like, let's just cut everything in half. I don't do it that way. I try to really kind of get under the surface and it works. I mean, I've done hundreds of mediations by now and there's only one that I haven't had an, a full agreement on. And that success rate comes with a specific time frame. Before you even walk into mediation, you get their buy-in. Yes. And you say we're going to work under what kind of time frame? Well, so our process for mediation is one, like we have to determine the case is ripe for mediation because I don't want them wasting their money to pay. It's a flat fee and you know, you pay before you come. So there's no reason to waste your money or your time to come and sit down with me for a few hours. If we know this is just not going to work. So you have, there has to be a couple things present um, to be able to, to even do mediation. Then we have them write an opening statement which is I'm expecting to get this out of, of, out of this time together. These are my goals. These are where I think the sticking points are. These are where I think maybe we have an agreement. Um, just, you know, 
kind of informally, like some people do a paragraph, some people do a page, but it's nothing crazy, but it just kind of gives me an indication of where their head is at. Um, And then they have to do their financial paperwork that the court requires either way. And then they come in, they sit down with me for two to three hours. It's the appointment is set for two hours. Sometimes we'll go over um, or sometimes we'll schedule an hour or two for another day. Um, And we hash through all the issues in a divorce. And I've, you know, sometimes people think I just had somebody recently, they had kind of a bigger business and a couple different assets. And they're like, is that, you know, do we have too much to do this mediation? I've mediated cases where the net worth of the marital estate was like $40 million. Um, So it's, there's no limit to, you know, how much is going on in the case or what kind of assets you have or any sort of complexity or anything like that. Um, In that, in that case, that $40 million case, they had internet, multiple international businesses and lots of stuff going on. And but it's really just about um, Chris Voss, who's the the FBI negotiator guy. He uses the term tactical empathy, and that's what it's really about. Like putting your me as the mediator, as a third party neutral, putting myself in their shoes, really taking the time to figure out what do they need out of this, what do they really want. But it's for a tactical reason, right? Like my ulterior motive is to facilitate an agreement between the parties for the quickest you know, the quickest amount of time, the cheapest amount of money, the most efficient way possible and the least heartache for them. I mean, that's, I think the biggest piece to it is it's so much less adversarial, nerve wracking, all the, all the bad things to do this mediation process than it is to, to litigate a case for a couple of years. Mic drop moment. I didn't even have to ask you any questions. I mean, you just took everything out of my questions. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. And I want everyone to understand about your approach. Mediation can be the solution. And it's about the preparedness coming to the table, ready and willing, right? You know, and and doing the the homework and the background check up front. Yes, where you go there. So it's not a waste of time. And, And and it's true. It doesn't matter the size of your portfolio. Right. You can, you can accomplish everything you need in mediation if you just come to the table ready and willing. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Well, I know that in the cases that I've been part of, there are certain memorable cases. Give me a standout. I got to hear it. Oh my gosh. Uh, wow. I. I mean, I've had cases involving um, the Mexican drug cartel. I've had cases in, where one of the parties was in the FBI witness protection program. So every single filing that we filed with the court, we had to run by the FBI handler for that person. I've had cases where we were dividing horse sperm um, for a thoroughbred racehorse. I've had cases where there was like a 40 year age difference between mom and dad, um, which you know presented some very interesting discussions on like best interests of the child, like who is the child going to be with? Um, 
So many fascinating things. So many fascinating things. To be the fly on the wall in during one of your mediations. Well, first of all, I just got back from the Derby. So I have to say the whole horse thing, I, I kind of get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. It's, exactly. well, there's big money in horses. Yes. <laughs> exactly. You get in horse sperm, apparently. <laughs> Based on the fact that you had to run everything by an FBI handler and we were concerned about the Mexican cartel, I'm a little concerned to ask the next question. Okay. How can people find you? (laughs) Thank you for (laughs) fantastic information. And I want people to be able to reach out to you, but wow, how do they find you? Um, They, we have a website. It's morefamilylawgroup.com. We have... Uh, we're on LinkedIn. We're on kind of all the main social media platforms. They can certainly call our office. Um, and we're always happy to talk to anybody that might need our help. Southern California only or all of California? Southern California only. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. Riverside County, Orange County, San Bernardino County, North San Diego County, a little bit LA County. <laughs> <laughs> Any last nuggets or tidbits of information that you think people should know? Um, you know, the, the, the soapbox that I've been on lately is I think people would be so much better off if they thought about how they're going to proceed with their divorce as an, like they would think about an investment strategy where it's like, There's no guarantees. Of course, we know that. But, you know, we have certain data points that tell us this is going to be the likely outcome. And rather than pursue low value, what I would call low value things, you know, fighting over a Keurig coffee maker that costs a hundred bucks and, you know, and paying two attorneys, you know, a lot of money per hour to do that. Rather than fighting over those things, let's look at the things that truly matter to that person and are truly worth, you know, fighting about or investing any sort of time and resources. And let's just let all the other stuff go. I think that would decrease attorney's fees in family law litigation, like by a mile. And I think it would shorten litigation. Um, if you apply the same thing to mediation, I mean, mediate people that mediate are already pretty good at that. They're already, I think their minds are already thinking a little bit that way because just by virtue of the fact that they're showing up to the mediation, they already are thinking what's the most efficient way to do this, you know? So they're not generally fighting over the Keurig in mediation, but I just think thinking about things, I know it's so hard because emotions are so high and that's why people fight over the coffee maker. It's not really about the coffee maker, um, but emotions are so high. So I just think if there was a way that people could just kind of put on their logical hat, their business hat and and think more logically about this, then they would be better off. That's my two cents. That's awesome. So I'm hearing and I'm going to translate and every family therapist is going to jump on this, release the emotional baggage and come to mediation prepared, willing to mediate because the business transaction, it's not emotional transaction. Right. And, you know, I, I used to deal with another attorney who used to always say it's a business transaction. And I kind of cringed 
when he said that, because I'm putting myself in the client's shoes going, they're thinking this is my whole life. You know, this is, this was the love of my life at some point. This is my home. This is my kid. Like, this isn't just business. This is my whole life. So I like logically, yes, that statement completely makes sense, but I never want to minimize what the client is feeling. And so it's like, you know, it's a little bit of a, of a delicate balance, I guess, but ultimately, Amy, you're right. Like it's, you know, it is ultimately a business transaction because at the end of the day, we are dealing with financial, mostly financial information. Yes. There's the kid piece too, but, um, but I know for a lot of people it's hard, but yes, I mean, I, that's something that I didn't say, but it was in my mind is it's like, yes, whatever you could do to, to deal with the emotional side of it before you start going down the path of, you know, nasty litigation, um, would be so helpful. You heard it here. That's, that's one of the things that I try to explain to people. It's, it's not always about the Christmas tree in that same window, right? Because that's the emotional side. It is the business side. So I am so grateful for your time and energy and what you bring to the table, because in the short period of time that I've known you, I've learned. And let me tell you, I have paid attention to what you've said. And I have clearly, <laughs> I've talked to people about that. I'm going, hold on a minute. You, you know, there's a whole approach and there's an emotional back background to this. And, and I'm just so thankful for what you've taught me. And, and I truly am so grateful to be part of your team and want to continue doing a whole lot with you in the future. And, and I'm grateful that you spent some time with me today. Well, thank you. And I mean, we appreciate the work that you do so much as well. And, um, you know, my firm, cause you've come and taught at my firm and, um, you know, my lawyers are very senior, they like 20 years experience, 30 years experience. And after you taught at our firm, they were like, oh my gosh, we learned so much. That was fantastic. And of course, the work you do is super valuable to the clients as well. So thank you for what you do. Thank you very much. And no more fighting over Keurigs. We're only going for the thoroughbred sperm because that's the big ticket money. There you go. Yes. (laughs) Have a wonderful day. That's it. (laughs) Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Thank you so very much, Holly. Thank you, Amy. Have a good day too. Thanks for listening to Divorce Literacy. Discover more strategies and solutions on divorce mortgage planning at divorcelendingassociation.com.